Well, good afternoon, everybody. Yeah. Sorry, I used to be a school teacher. It's force of habit. So I'll, I'll say good afternoon. You can say good afternoon, Chris. Right? Good afternoon, everyone. Lovely. Thank you. Now we know each other. That's wonderful. In fact, I was once doing. I used to work in a special school, and I was once uh, taking the register. And I, I was also a music teacher, so I used to sing the register. Uh, and they would sing back to me in whatever tones I'd sung to them. So I'd sing, you know, good morning, Rachel Saunders. And she'd say, good morning, Mr. Kilby. Like that. And it would go through that, you know. And then I got to one lad, a friend of mine, Danny, uh, Danny Sundar. And I said to him, good morning, Danny Sundar. And he stood up on his chair and he went, pineapple, pineapple. Like that. <laughs> and I thought, this is a strange world we live in. Anyway, it's great. Uh, if, you've, if you think you're going to be doing samba, drumming or belly dancing or anything like that, you come to the wrong seminar. If you've come because you want to talk a little bit about adoption fostering in the church and our involvement with that, then you're in the right seminar. So hopefully there won't be a mass exodus now. Let me just read you uh, a little bit from Psalm 68 that I'm sure many of you will be very, very familiar with. Psalm 68, starting at verse 4. Sing to God, sing praise to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Do you know, every single year in the UK, currently 40,000 children enter the care system. And my heart is that we have every child having the opportunity for a stable and loving home where they can thrive. Uh, And my conviction is that we as church can together make a huge difference for every single vulnerable child in the UK. It's a statistic that's often bandied around, uh, but it is actually a statistic that holds up to scrutiny that if every church were to have one family that would foster or adopt, then there would be no need for any other agency to be involved in the care of children in the UK. It almost makes it sound doable, doesn't it? So we've got a biblical call to care for the vulnerable, and as you and I in our churches respond to that call, we're going to see families who are changing the way they do things, families who will step forward and adopt or foster children who are waiting for a home. And we'll see safe environments and safe families Uh, and safe churches where children can become part of a supportive community. And we'll see every Christian, actually, whether they're directly involved with fostering or adoption, having a role to play and an influence in the lives of vulnerable children. So you and I can make a genuine difference by doing very little and by pace-setting and encouraging a culture in our churches that changes the way we view such things. Um, you know, in our, in our leadership team last year at Life Church in Southampton, we had four, hopefully soon to become five, children who'd been adopted into that, that, those families that were part of the leadership team. Uh, and I just like to imagine and dream sometimes, can you, what would it look like if that was replicated across the whole church? What would that look like if it was replicated across a whole family and a movement of churches, And I guess that's how I want us to begin to dream and pray a little bit today, of changing bit by bit, drip by drip, the culture of the family of churches that we belong to 
so that we're making a genuine difference for every single vulnerable child. And because of that, we're going to kind of go outwards in concentric zones, and we're going to begin with the impact on one life, and then we're going to look at the impact on one family, and then we're going to consider your one church that you're part of, and we'll end by bringing before God our whole commission family. And as part of that final section, I'd love some of you that are sat down at the moment thinking you've come to listen to update us if you've got stories of what God's been doing in your life, in your family, and things that we want to pray for. Because this is about a whole movement, a whole family of churches changing what we do. And we'll, we'll end by praying and asking for God's wisdom and love and grace and power to flow through us as a movement in the year ahead. So let's start with the thing. You see, one life is important. Sometimes we can look at statistics, like I've just mentioned, 40,000 children coming into care in the UK every single year. That means every year there's 40,000 children coming into care. Uh, and the size of the problem can just seem overwhelming sometimes, can't it? And I, I, I just often think of the, what Mother Teresa said when she was told that her work in Calcutta was a drop in the ocean. And she simply said, well, even the ocean is made up of drops. Her emphasis being that if you can add one drop, if you can make one bit of difference, together it adds together um, to see God's kingdom come into the lives of vulnerable children. And so we're going to hear for a few minutes about the impact of adoption on one, one life. So I'm going to interview a young man. Connor, could you come up for me? Let's give Connor a round of applause if we could. Thank you very much. Now, uh, Connor, I'm just going to ask you a few questions, if that's okay, and your experience will help us out, I'm sure. And the first question I'll, I want to ask, or just let, let's just paint a picture before we begin, though. You're, you're a student at the moment? Yep, bring the microphone up a little bit. That's it? Yep. Uh, you're at Portsmouth. What are you studying at Portsmouth? Studying maths at Portsmouth. You're part of Christ Central Church? Okay, and uh, you've just finished your first year. But you had a pretty challenging start to life. You had a year or so of neglect. Uh, and then you spent a few years in and out of various different foster placements um, before you were adopted aged four. So uh, the first question I want to ask you is, can I'm going to give you this, this microphone, actually, because one, that one's ringing a little bit. But can you just tell me of a few of the challenges uh, that that early childhood uh, has meant for you? Uh, yeah, so um, obviously being adopted at age four um, meant that most of my early childhood up until then uh, wasn't exactly in a stable family, in a stable home, uh, which obviously was going to lead to some complications, um, which made it hard for me to do like certain things that are quite just taken for granted by most kids, like running, jumping, just very simple things that just were harder for me and that I couldn't get just because of how I hadn't been properly raised until then. Um, and also, I guess, like as I became older, um, also understanding and de dealing with what had happened and the reality of what had happened and why it had to happen, uh, that was really hard as well for me. And I guess for the family that I'm now part of, um, to have to deal with that as well um, properly, yeah. That's great, thank you. And, and, and perhaps you can just tell us what have been some of the joys of being kind of adopted into a Christian environment, into a Christian family. Uh, so first and foremost, I'd definitely say it was finding Jesus. That was the top, the top thing by far, uh, because my family before uh, wer weren't really Christian in the same way. Um, I guess didn't really go to church. I, I mean, I was only young, but um, I guess finding Jesus and being able to go to church and being brought up in a loving Christian family um, is yeah something that can't be replaced. 
Um, and also, I guess, yeah, just being in a safe and stable home, um, being able to be raised like any other child um, in a Christian family as well, yeah. Fantastic. And, and tell us some of your kind of dreams for the future. Um, so hopefully going into something like maths related um, after I graduate. Um, but ultimately, I guess, wherever God calls me, whatever he wants me to do, um, and being open to that as well. So I don't have many plans. It's just kind of seeing where God leads me and trying my best to follow that, really. Fantastic. And the final thing, I, I, there'll be people here today who are w- wondering whether fostering or adoption or involvement in helping church to be better at that is for them. What, what kind of thing would you want to say if you could say something to people that are considering fostering and adoption at the moment? Um, I'd say uh, not, not to underestimate the difficulty of it. I'd say to consider it very carefully before you uh, make the decision. Um, I'd encourage, I would encourage you to, of course. Um, I think it's a great thing, and it's changed my life for the better in a way that I can't describe. And, but I'd just say be prepared for the challenge. It's, it's definitely, um, most of the time, a lot harder than having your own kid. Um, and, yeah, it's a joy. But I guess it's hard, hard to see that as well. But I'd say definitely consider it prayerfully and ask God to help. You can't do it without God's help. Some wise advice there. Thank you. Let's give Connor a round of applause. So, thank you very much. It kind of grounds things a little bit, doesn't it, when we hear it coming straight from the lips of somebody whose life has been impacted in that way. I'd like us to to take Connor's experience and Connor's story. Uh, as a representative now, and I want us to pray for just for a moment together. I, I want us to pray for the children that are currently waiting for a forever family, that are currently waiting for a, a foster placement or currently waiting for a, an adoptive situation that, that they can find that security in. And maybe you can think of even people that you're aware of that are maybe weighing this up. Maybe you yourself are weighing it up at the moment. But let's just focus for a moment on the children and see if we can pray and ask God to put the lonely into families. Perhaps we could do that just for a few minutes together, shall we? Let's just pray. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you for Connor's story. Thank you that his destiny was wrapped up uh, in you uh, and that you had a plan and a purpose for him before you laid the foundations of the earth. And Father, we recognize that there will be many children across our nation right now that are perhaps outside of our sphere of influence at the moment, but who through the willing involvement of men and women in this room even, could be placed into loving families. We pray, Father, wherever they are now, I'm sure some of them will be in situations of danger, uh, abuse, vulnerability, Lord, and loneliness. And Lord, our desire is that you would draw them into a place of love and security. Won't you protect them even in their situations where they currently are and we pray father that that any child that needs a home you would find a home for them father we cry out to you for the children of our nation lord uh, uh, we we can only genuinely call ourselves a a civilized nation when we are honestly caring for those who are most vulnerable and often that's the youngest and the oldest so we pray father for these young children up and down our nation who are waiting lord won't you comfort them won't you protect them Won't you watch over them? And ultimately, Lord, we ask you to find a home for each of them. And we ask for that in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Each time we have a little section, we'll break it up with a bit of prayer. Sometimes I'll get you praying together, and sometimes we'll pray all as one, one room. Um, so that's one life. Let's move on to one family. One of the things that Connor said that was interesting, he said, really consider it. Consider it prayerfully, is what he said, if this is something that you are to be involved in. When my wife Jo and I approached adoption, it was very much a family affair. Uh, we had grandparents who were initially less than positive uh, when we first when we first mentioned it to them. They were initially concerned for us. Uh, I had a, a, a wonderful pastor who, who is a dear friend who, who said to me, Chris, you shouldn't do this. It will ruin your ministry. Uh, and, uh, and it was a challenge. It was a genuine challenge. Not only that, but we had two of our own birth children at the time who we loved dearly, and we knew that thrusting them into a situation that they hadn't chosen could potentially have a huge effect on them. I just want you to consider for a moment in Romans 12 where the Apostle Paul says, practice hospitality. And we often think that means put on a good dinner party, don't we? You know, invite your friends around and have some pizza. Practice hospitality. What would hospitality really look like if it meant find the most vulnerable and make them part of your home? Because for me, that's the kind of radical hospitality that Paul is talking about. When our homes are places where the weakest and most vulnerable find a place of strength and security. And uh, family is God's idea, as we read in Psalm 68. God puts the lonely in family, and that's the nuclear family. It's also the church family. And, and imagine the church being a place of radical, radical hospitality so that children aren't just added to a nuclear family, but they're added to a whole community where love is poured, where security comes, where teaching and discipleship happens. Uh, the wider spiritual family, obviously, of the church. Uh, we're going to hear the journey of one family now, and I know you'll find their story encouraging and helpful. So I'd love you to welcome Pete and Esther Clayton and Alice. Hello. Yeah, so I'm Esther, and this is my husband, Pete, and we've got Alice here with us. And um, we've also got two boys, Jacob and Isaac. They're somewhere doing slip and slide down some down Chris Kilby's hill, <laughs> well, where they're camping. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we've just been asked to share a bit of our story and how we kind of got, went got to this point of adopting our daughter, Alice. Um, for us, I guess it started many years ago. Um, I guess adoption is something that we always spoke about, um, something we always kind of talked about um, in our dating years, in our early years of marriage. Um, and then it kind of got to the point where we thought, oh, we should start a family. Um, and we had two birth boys and um, had no problems there. And kind of the thought of adoption almost kind of got, got put to the side for a little bit. Um, and I remember about five years ago, we were sat around uh, the table with my brother and his wife. And we were talking about a story that had recently been on the news about this kid that needed adopting. And you know, we were just chatting about it. We didn't really think that much about it. And then we both got in the car that evening, and in both of our hearts, we kind of turned to each other and we kind of almost said simultaneously, we need to really think about adopting, don't we? And God just did something in both of us, and we kind of knew instantly this is was our next step. Um, so at the time, we had a three- and a one-year-old, um, but we thought we'd just push the doors and see 
um, kind of, you know, whether this was really what we wanted to do. So we kind of went to our local authority, said, you know, we're interested in this. Um, and they said, well actually, your youngest son is a bit too young at the moment, so why don't you hold fire? But for us, that was the point when we decided, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We know God's spoken um, and we're going to go for it. And we kind of waited a few years, waited for our youngest son, Isaac, to be, what was he, three? Two? Three years? Um, and then we started the process. So I will pass on to Pete and he can tell you about the process. Great. Yeah, just to, just to add to that. So we're, we were a part of Chris and Joe's church. So it was, it was always on the radar. You can't be around Chris and Joe without then thinking about it and being stirred about it because they model it so well. And um, so at that point, we, we started the process with Hampshire. Um, so just Hampshire, like the local adoption service, really, and um, worked through it. And we, we had, in, in honesty, if I'm really honest, the process wasn't overly smooth. So I don't, if any of you are considering adoption, um, it, sh it was all going swimmingly smoothly. So you, there's like a two-stage process and um, throughout the two stages, you have the first stage is kind of information and some education. And then if you go to stage two, um, then you kind of have eight sessions of three hours where they, they really do dig into your past and your history and pull out any skeleton they can find. Um, but it actually went really smoothly. It, we thought it had gone really smoothly. Um, but And we got all the way to kind of panel almost. And then we got a phone call from the, the kind of social work manager just saying, actually, um, well they've read the report, and the report, there's no way we can proceed with you guys as, as adoptive parents. And we were slightly insulted, and our pride was slightly wounded, to be honest. So we had, bear in mind, we had two kids of our own. Um, it just, it just didn't, it didn't quite stack up. We then read the report, so we had, we had not had a chance to. We only got sent it literally um, about eight hours before it had been submitted to the manager and and the report just didn't read of us at all it was, it was actually loads of mistakes that just weren't um, factually accurate as well so so just literally the wrong ages of children down to things like that so so there was there was just a problem in the social work system which meant that we had to start the whole stage again because so oh yeah yeah so that's the point yeah so so we'd said so as we, we were as as um, Christian parents we'd we'd try to get the balance between discipline and you know, and being godly in it. So with our birth boys, we'd use like a tap on the hand, as um, a smack as it were, when they'd like, when they were really little. And we were, so we were just totally honest the whole way through the process. So um, we, we just said to social worker from day one, we've done this and, and we appreciate that wouldn't be appropriate with a looked after child. And so we just want to be really honest about where we're at and we love our kids dearly. Um, and then in the report, it read that, that uh, Pete and Esther used smacking as a regular form of discipline which just wasn't true we hadn't used it for a few years and we never really it wasn't like I was going to the drawer and getting a wooden spoon out or anything so so there was there was just there was just like there was some real it, it but it hit us pretty hard as in we, we were we were kind of being told you're not you're not appropriate um so I guess just that, that to encourage you there is a good end to this story so like just don't give up would be my my kind of encouragement and then from that point we so we had to Basically, the manager came and met us as a family, spent time with us, went to the park with us, with our two boys, and realized these guys are actually quite nice. They're not that horrible. And so, th and, and they really needed adoptive parents. So they, then they said, it's worth us starting again. But we had to swallow quite a lot of like humble pie at that point, because there, there was a good bit of you that was kind of like, you, just, you kind of wanted to go, we're just going to have our own. Like there, was, there was a bit of you that got a bit frustrated, to say the least. Do you want to carry on? The good bit? It gets to the good bit. I'll let Esther tell the good bit. 
so yeah, so after a lot of forms and I don't know, if, uh, we calculated the number of hours we spent with social workers. It was a lot, probably in the hundreds, I think. We, you know, as in in terms of training, meeting social workers, we had to do this parenting course as a result of us doing it again. And we finally got there. We, we went to panel, and panel isn't as scary as people make out. It's a really friendly room of people that just have a chat with you. And um, we finally got to the point where we were approved as adopters. Um, and literally the day after we were approved as adopters, this doesn't always happen, but um, we kind of knew that some a couple of social workers had slipped that Alice was waiting for us. Because I think because of her, um, her being Chinese and her, her background, and I've got a half Korean ethnicity, there's a kind of an ethnic match there. So I think they'd pre pre-matched us before we'd even gone to panel. Um, so we were really fortunate that actually as soon as we were approved, they told us about Alice. Um, and that was really just honestly the most exciting thing ever to be told your future child's name. And you know, we didn't know anything about her. We didn't know what she looked like. We didn't know her story. But the moment I heard that name Alice, I was like, that's my daughter. And it just, you know, it just sinks in. You just, you know, it's, it's such an amazing feeling. Um, so then another waiting game. You have to wait some more. So we, I think we heard Alice's name in the September. And we didn't meet her until February. So it's you know it's a good length of time, but in that time um, you fill out more paperwork. You have to go to a panel again to be approved. Um, Alice's kind of story was a bit more complicated, so we had to wait a bit longer than um, necessary. But then we got to the point where we got to kind of do the um, what's it called transition. So with the foster carer. So amazingly, our foster carer was a Christian, which is just you know God's hand over all of it. And that time was just such an emotional. It was an emotional roller coaster, I guess, because you know, it's real joys of meeting your new daughter, but it's also really hard because the foster carers are saying goodbye and they've got all of you know the routines and habits that they've kind of um, been doing with their foster child, and it's just trying trying to get that balance right. But on the was it the third of February, we took Alice home with us and brought her home, which honestly was just the most amazing thing. And and being a mother of of, of birth birth children and adopted children. I can honestly say that there's no difference in my love and my desire and and affection for her. Like she's just my daughter. Like she's not my adopted child. She's my child. Um, there's literally not not even a difference. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So I guess that's probably the the main bit of our story. Um, I guess I just wanted to encourage those of you that um, I don't know are working mums. I know sometimes. When you're thinking about adoption, I think sometimes you can put different barriers in the way. You think, oh, well, I work, so maybe they won't let me. Or um, I, I don't know. I guess for Chris, it was being in full-time ministry. Maybe that might be a, um, an issue. But actually, you know, there aren't actually many barriers. Kind of social workers are desperate. They they need you. They need foster carers. They need adopters. So please, just you know, if you're interested and you 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 know, God's put something in your heart to even just seek it out. Just I just want to encourage you just to push those doors because honestly this this adventure of extending our family with Alice has just been the biggest joy also it's had lots of challenges as well having three children and um you know Alice has had a few things from her past as well but you know you she's your daughter and you do absolutely anything um for her so I guess just to add, it's just it for, for me, there's a couple of things like, so we've had her 18 months now and the transformation in our two boys, they're eight and six, like we were, you know, there's all that apprehension, but she's just, 
she's just such a blessing. Like the, it's a privilege and a joy. It's just not like the 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 hard working in it is massively outweighed by, you know, if you're looking at this as a kind of in a cold-hearted transactional sense, she enriches our lives in every way. Like she delights all of us, and she's grown all of us massively. So like, I know that can be a worry for some if you've got birth kids. Like for us, it's it's just enriched the whole family, and it's developed all of us. We've all grown closer together through it, and she's just she's just she basically has us all wrapped around her little finger. I think is is kind of the bottom line. Um, and also just this massive gospel picture for me. Uh, so I'm in full-time ministry as well, and so there is that kind of goldfish bowl thing where you're worried about. And sometimes people do, like she doesn't like being looked at constantly, as you can probably tell. And 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 she's doing all right, isn't she? And yeah, but but uh, again, you, there's ways around everything. Chris has been brilliant. So Chris and Joe, they've written some really helpful resources you can give out to your church. And there's ways that it works. And um, for me, it's it's such a picture of the gospel, isn't it, that we've been adopted into God's family. And and so to be able to do that as a family, and even the lesson that's teaching all of all three of our kids. Actually, you know, mum and dad really do believe this stuff. They even act on it. Like it just to me, it's just there's no bigger joy and privilege. So, I would say, uh, and uh, obviously we're coming from the adoption side, but fostering is. I mean, just I think it's brilliant. Go for it. I think we just need to go for it. If that's that is true, then we should be we should be able to tackle that, shouldn't we? So yeah, that's it. Thanks so much, guys. It's been such a joy to see the journey that that family's been on and it's such a joy as well to see them flourishing under God's lead and uh, I know that many of you will come from churches and some of you will already be involved in fostering and adoption some of you will be be able to identify families in your church that you know are already involved in fostering and adoption and you'll have picked up from a few of the things that we've said that it's full of joys and it's full of challenges and so I'd just like you to think of Pete and Esther and Alice And I'd just like us to take a moment. Maybe you could turn to the three or four people nearest to you. And if you're near Pete and Esther and Alice, maybe you guys could pray for them as well. And I'd like us, instead of just praying for now the children, I'd love us to pray for families. I'd love us to pray for God's grace upon families in our churches and in our movement. If you don't know anybody at all that's involved in the world of fostering and adoption, pray that God would raise some up in your your environment. Okay? So we'll just spend a couple of minutes praying for that. Is that okay? So just just with a few people near you, uh, and then we'll move on to your church.
Okay, if we could just start to draw those prayers to a close. Okay, so we've gone from one life being impacted to one family being impacted. Now I want us to focus in on your church. So I want you just to picture for a moment your own church. I want you to imagine maybe, imagine it's Sunday morning and uh, everyone's turning up for your church gathering, your big Sunday gathering of the week and they're all saying hi to one another the grandparent figures are there the weird uncle figures are there well maybe that's just life church i don't know maybe uh, but but basically it's family isn't it and uh, i want you to imagine this sunday morning imagine there are also some guests there coming in week by week they're exploring faith they're finding a place of belonging they're discovering jesus and you've got all that kind of life of the church going on in front of your eyes and and I, I just want you to add to that picture for a few moments. I want you to add into that picture a pair of young twins who will maybe only be there for one Sunday because their single dad has had a mental health episode and he's now had to be sectioned and they've been taken into emergency foster care by a lady in your church. And they're only going to be there for one Sunday. And then I want you to add into that picture the couples and the singles who come each week and every time there's a, a baby dedication or a pregnancy announcement, it's a, a painful moment because they would dearly love to be parents. But for whatever reason, it's not been able to happen yet. And then I want you to add into that a family, a family maybe like Pete and Esther, who have begun the adoption process, but they're facing weeks and weeks of social worker assessments and questions and panels and challenges. They're facing the fact that their parents think they're making the wrong decision or make a concern for them, like ours were. And then I want you to add into that picture a bundle of foster children who come in with a family from your church, but when it comes to the kids' work, they don't quite speak or behave in the way that the other kids in the church do. And as they leave, the children's worker kind of says, they've been a little bit disruptive today. And then I want you to add in the young girl who's just been adopted by a couple in your church. And she's sitting quietly with her new parents. On the outside, they look like everything's going well and it's a perfect family. Inside, all their hearts are pounding. The girl, for her, everything is totally new Everything is totally scary. For the dad, he thinks he's doing his best. He hasn't really got a clue. He feels like he's struggling. And mum is just wondering whether it's all been a big mistake. Okay, I want you to have that family. And here's my plea. Can we make our churches the primary place where all of those people are encouraged, supported, cared for, helped, served, and normal. Can we make our churches that kind of place? Because I think it's possible. I think we can with just a few things that we can do to try and help create a culture in our church that I would describe as wrapping around families, wrapping around 
vulnerable children. Here's a few suggestions for you. Mother's Day, Father's Day, dedications. Can we make those opportunities when we pray for children in care, where we pray for adopted children, where we pray for foster children, where we pray for maybe the family or the couple of families that are involved in this world in church life? Maybe Father's Day could be the day when we challenge the dads in the church and say, hey, have you ever thought of being a dad to somebody else that you didn't expect? Maybe Mother's Day is the day we can do that for mums. Maybe when we open some of these opportunities up, we can create a culture that says it's okay to talk about this stuff. Maybe we can approach Mother's Day and Father's Day in ways that are not just celebratory, but also profoundly moving and maybe we can use those opportunities to help those for whom they're difficult moments here's another suggestion maybe we could encourage education and upskilling in the church helping people to understand what it looks like interview a couple one morning who are involved in foster care interview somebody who in your church who's a social worker and find out a little bit more about it and start the conversation going. I think one of the biggest challenges that the church faces in this area is simply one of ignorance. People genuinely love each other and want to help, but they don't always know what to do. So you might have somebody in your church who's very loving, but when the new foster child comes, the last thing that this person could do is go up and give them a big hug because it would be inappropriate and start asking all sorts of questions about why they're in foster care it would be highly inappropriate. So we've got to try and help people understand the ways in which they can pray, the ways in which they can help. Pete made mention of a little booklet that we put together in Southampton, and it basically, on the top of it, it, it says what you can do to support people who foster and adopt at Life Church. And inside, it's got a whole story of what adoption looks like. It's giving some teaching, some thoughts, some ideas, so that people have got some understanding of the process. It's got some quite it starts off shallow and then goes in deep to things like attachment disorder and the challenges of adoption and all those kind of things. But it gives them some guidelines. Here's the things you can genuinely do to help. And, uh, and I think we could all encourage people in our churches to be understanding a little bit more about what this world looks like. Uh, we've also run training for children's workers and youth workers. We do quite a lot of training in lots of different areas, but we don't often take time to say, okay, we're going to prepare because who knows, this year we could have adopted children, fostered children coming into our children's work. How do we appropriately meet their needs? How do we make sure that we know where they're coming from and where their parents are coming from? So when that parent says, actually, I'd like them to go in a younger group because they're I know they are that age, but they're not really that age. And we understand it because we've done some training. And so those kind of things are always available. We can do them online. We can have people come to churches and do those kind of things. Here's a suggestion for you. If you've got people that you know of, it might not be personally you, it might be people you know of that are involved in fostering and adoption, why don't you just go up to them and say to them, is there anything I can pray for or is there anything I can do to serve you and your family? And, you know, even if they say, oh, no thanks, we're great, they will be thrilled that you asked and that you care. They genuinely will be. Because sometimes it can be a tough and sometimes it can be a lonely journey. And just knowing that there are people praying and caring does us all the world of good. I've got two very specific things I want to mention as well. And then we're going to pray for your church and we're going to pray for your leaders and we're going to pray for your part in creating a culture that encourages and supports fostering and adoption. 
I'm guessing you're here because you've got some kind of interest in fostering and adopting, either from a leadership perspective, from a personal perspective, or from a professional perspective. That means you're already, there's something on your heart. God is doing something in your heart. And it means that everybody that's not in this room currently is either not, either either currently knows it all, uh, or God hasn't placed it on their heart. So you, whatever situation you're in, can be a catalyst for the conversation in your church. Yeah, You can be a champion to change the culture in your church. I, I mean, as a leader, there are many things that I want to champion, and I can't champion them all. And so if I've got somebody in my church who says, do you know, every now and again, can I bang on about this? Because I think it's really important. I will say, oh, yes, please. That would be amazing. We would love that. And so one thing that I want to suggest to you, if that's the sort of thing that you think you might like to do, we're trying to build teams of champions right the way across the country. Singles, couples who have an interest in promoting Christian fostering and adoption and to try and get it on the agenda. And there's all sorts of things that you'll be able to do, but there's a couple of stories of people that have become champions and they have changed the culture of their church. And you imagine a whole family of churches being affected if we've got champions in every single church. It would just be incredible. And now it's not a massively kind of time committing role, it's just having it on your agenda. And so that might be something that you want to consider. And I've got a whole load of these leaflets over on here. So if it's something that you want to know more about, you can grab one of those or you can go to the Home for Good website, which the details are up here as well. Second thing is, there are, s- there are m- hundreds of brilliant resources available to you that are all free to try and help you to create a culture that is supportive of fostering and adoption in the church. And one of the things that you can do is your church can become a home for good church. And that means basically that y- you want to show some of the videos, you want to encourage it, you want to support people well, you want to wrap around families, you want to see the culture change. And, and, and the resources, again, as I say, they're all free. But maybe this is something that you could say, I'm going to start this journey by getting this in front of my leadership team. I'm going to go and I'm going to give it to one of our elders or one of our pastoral team. I'm go- and I'm going to say, could you have a look at this and put it on an agenda at a leaders meeting and have a conversation about it and then let me know what you think? Because if your leaders are anything like me, the posts that they get and the requests that they get are myriad and manifold. And you don't always know what to say yes and no to. So if I've got somebody in my church who's coming to me and saying, this is well worth us thinking about, I'm going to take that much more seriously than something that drops through my letterbox. Particularly if it's coming from somebody in my church that has got a passion and a heart to see things change. So maybe I could ask you to already be a champion in a way and take one of these and shove it under your leader's noses and say we should be doing some of this stuff okay so that's some of the things that we can do as churches and now i want us to pray if you're here with somebody from your church it would be really good if you could find them if you could find them if you're here and there's nobody from your church here find somebody else that's fine say which church you come from and i want you to pray for your church i want you to pray for your leaders and your pastoral teams And I want you to pray that together we'll be able to create this culture that encourages and supports fostering and adoption amongst us. Okay? So have a little bit of a move around.
Okay, if we could just start to take our seats again, that'd be wonderful. Okay, we're just coming to the point now where I'm going to uh, ask for a bit more upfront involvement from some of you to share some of the things that you've been involved in. So we've gone from one life being affected, remember, one drop in the ocean, even the ocean's made up of drops. We've been to one family who heard God's heart and followed God's call and are building their family not just through birth children, but through adoption. We've had to think about your one church and how we can change the culture of the church to make it a place that wraps around families who are involved in this work that God has called them to. And finally, I want us to think of our commissioned family of churches. And I, w I, I guess I want us to dream a little bit. You know, can you imagine a day in your town and in your city and in your area where your church is the go-to place for the social services. They come to you first. Do you know that's starting to happen for us in Southampton now? The social workers are coming to us and they've, came, they've phoned me up and said, Chris, do you have any more couples from your church that you would put forward for adoption? Because the best ones we've had have come from you. So it's the Christians, they're finding that the rates of adoption breakdown are less, the assessments are generally smoother, the barriers that used to be there of suspicion are being broken down. And so I want you to understand, we, ha we are a good news story, the church. We genuinely are. But can you imagine if people said, oh, there's a commission church, oh, oh they'll have some people that will foster, they'll have some people that will adopt. They know all about that. That's fine. Yeah, you can trust them. And there's not that suspicion any longer. Do you know, for, for the last few years, we've had a seminar here. Many of you will have been year after year. And one of the things that always thrills me is to hear a story where somebody says, yeah, I, I came to this seminar four years ago. Uh, I really didn't think it was for me. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then they parade children in front of me. Uh, and, and to me, that's, I, I couldn't dream of anything better. I couldn't dream of anything better. So what we're going to do is we're going to finish by having a few brief updates from, from you guys across the commission family. Uh, and what we'll do once we've done that is we will all cry out to God together for a movement that will represent God's heart in caring for the most vulnerable more and more as we press forward together. So... Over to you. If you've got an update for us, uh, somebody came and spoke to me a moment ago, wherever you disappeared to, come on, uh, just to get you warmed up and uh, give us a brief, give us a brief potted history and an update of where things are now and we'll celebrate together God's, all that God is doing. So if you're sat out there and you're thinking, is this me? Yeah, this is for you. Okay, great. Just introduce yourself and then tell us a bit. I'm Hayley Dub and I'm panting because I just ran to the loo. <laughs> Hayley Gubb from Farnham. Um, my husband, Sean, uh, leads the church there. And we came to this seminar, I think, about three years ago. Um, so again, like the story you heard before, had foster and adoption on our hearts. We've got four birth sons of our own. 
we're grown up now and we're getting to the stage where we were getting near to having a, a room available. So um, basically we went home from that and we decided to become a home for good church um, because we couldn't actually do anything ourselves at that point. So we did that and um, we then started to talk about Nordstrom adoption in the church and as a result of that, uh, a family who have also got grown up children who've moved on who did have some rooms available decided to go ahead to be foster carers and because of the rooms available we're able to take sibling groups um, and then and by the grace of God when we spoke to the social worker with them we found that we could actually go ourselves through the fostering process so we've become approved foster carers as well so that even though we don't have a, a regular room yet we can be their respite carers so we've been able to do that with alongside them, um, which has been amazing. Um, and it's been a hard journey for them and a, and a very eye-opening journey for us. And as leaders of the church, we're so grateful to be given that opportunity so that we really know what's going on and we can continue to champion it in that way. We've got networks going on in the town. We're running the Homes for Good training in February for the churches in the town. We've got two other people who are in the process of going from fostering as well. So we're really excited about what God's doing. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Training going on, families fostering, impacting the town with the love of Jesus. That's thrilling, isn't it? That's thrilling. And it began here three years ago. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else want to come and share an update, whether, whether it's a, a, a personal update or a church update? Great, thank you. in Bournemouth. Um, four years ago we came to this seminar and uh, I had a real heart for fostering. My husband left though at the time um, and I remember someone at that time saying quite often you find that within a couple one of you's the kind of the gas and one of you's the break kind of thing. That was our story. But we went through the, um, the process to become foster carers and were approved four years ago so we're just about to go into our fourth year. And um, in that time, we've um, had six children come to stay with us and then move on. And uh, in order to do the most recent year, we, we reached a crisis point where we only have a three-bedroom house. And so when our birth children wanted to stop sharing, we lost the spare room. So it was we were nearly at the point where we were thinking, well, we've either got to move or we're going to have to stop fostering, which neither of us wanted to do by that point. Um, and then just through a whole series of things, we were able to find finances to do a loft conversion in our house and then my husband got a promotion so um, so financially that meant that it was all much more straightforward so we've been able to carry on doing it and uh, yeah so yeah so that we found provision so that we could carry on doing it yeah that's just amazing wow wow I'll come to you in just a moment a couple of things I want to pick up from that 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 gas and break things really important if you're a couple here today and you're thinking is this for us understand that it's normal very normal for you not to be like on exactly parallel train tracks okay that's okay that's okay and and sometimes the gas pedal needs to push a little forward and sometimes the brake pedal needs to go on a little bit the important thing is that you work at it together and you you you, you know you, you talk about it honestly um, and don't get kind of don't allow the gas just to drag the brake pedal in, and don't allow the brake to stop what might be the will of God. So it's, it's cooperating together. The other thing is that building thing. It's interesting. You may never have thought of this, 
but you might have people in your church that can help families, even if they're never going to get involved in fostering and adoption. When Joe and I uh, first considered adopting, we didn't have enough bedrooms. And so we said, well, we're going to need to do a loft conversion. And uh, there was a guy in our church who was a builder, and uh, he, he had a heart for adoption. In fact, went on to adoptions themselves. And uh, he said he would do our loft conversion at cost price for us. So we were able to, well, we had this lovely swanky new loft conversion that me and Joe moved into. <laughs> and, then our, and then our two sons moved into our old bedroom. Yeah, I wanted the view out the back window. Yeah, <laughs> it was lovely. Right, please come up. Thank you. Just introduce yourself and then give us an update. Hi, I'm Fee. I'm from Grace Church. Actually, there was a crowd here. Um, and we, my husband John and I, have three adopted children that are hanging out at Buggy's company. Um, and so we are really blessed in Grace Church. Um, the, start of the, the adoption story for us started, uh, I don't know, eight years ago and or nine years ago when John and Rach, our good friends, started the adoption process. They've since adopted four children. We live, we live about, uh, well, in the same village. Our kids are all at the same school. So we just hand over to primary school. What, what is seven adopted children? <laughs> crack on. Um, and then Mike and Susie have also adopted two and hopefully another one very shortly. So we're just really blessed to have a growing number. Cause we've <laughs> so we've, we've got about 100 kids in Grace Church and uh, we're about to have our 10th child adopted into church. So, um, so yeah, we're, it's amazing. And, and I think th just to say, it, as we were just saying, it's just really exciting that we've got 20 of us from our church here today. So it feels like the, the compassion's growing and yeah, it's really exciting. Thank you so much. That is interesting. I mean, there's nothing like momentum, is there? You know, once a few families, it starts to become normal, all of a sudden it's got a momentum and, you know, there's nothing like momentum for building momentum. Great. Is there anybody else that would like to come forward? Thank you, Rossi. Is that okay? Hi, guys. I'm Andy Clark from Grace Church in Chichester. Uh, my wife and I have encountered Chris's seminars probably four or five years ago. Um, since then, probably three West Points ago, we finally made the decision for us. This is for us, and for us, it was our kind of plan A. There wasn't any reason why um, we couldn't have our own kids, but we felt God was clearly calling adoption on our hearts. So we, we went, went for it as our, our plan A. And from that West Point three years ago, we went through the whole process, approved on way to West Point on the same day two years ago, and now we're, we've been placed and we've got two lovely children and um, who are running around somewhere. Um, I'm on the church leadership at Grace Church, so I've, I've been banging on about this in my own church for, for years now, and it's great. We've got another couple who've been approved. We've got lots of other couples coming through the system of um, going through the process of being approved as well. So my kind of dream really is to kind of see uh, Grace Church and Chichester a bit like Edinburgh, like they're going to really, yeah, we've got to get hold of this. The whole, the whole city of Chichester as well, that's what I want to see it kind of really grow. Uh, but God's, God's on it, it's all good. This is doing me good, I'm loving listening to these stories. Um, can you come up on the stage? Uh, introduce yourself first and what you do for a living. Uh, I'm Carol Clough. I go to Bishop's Waltham King's Church and my husband and I have been foster parents now for over 30 years. We've had over 100 kids in our house. We have um, two birth sons, many children who come back who are equally our children and our grandchildren. Um, we've adopted two who are now grown up and having children of their own. Um, but 
I actually work as an adoption social worker for Hampshire, and I actually place children. So uh, on my caseload at the moment, I just want to uh, tell you how desperately short of adopters we are. Um, I have children on my caseload who are two, three, even babies who have not even major disabilities who we cannot place. I've got a little girl at the moment who is just three. She was three last month, and everybody is saying she's too old. They just want babies. There's nothing wrong with this little girl. She is absolutely adorable. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to speak to you that there are children out there who desperately, desperately need Christian families to go into. They need the love of God in their lives because they need healing. They've had dam you know, damage. They've had horrible times, a lot of them. And it's only God's healing that will help them to get through that. And as Christian families, we can witness to others, we can show them God's love, and we can show other people how God can change these children's lives. Okay? Thank you, Ashley. Great. And it's a very real need, a real and present need, and uh, it's not going away anytime soon. Thanks. Hello. Um, yeah, this is our social worker, Carol. <laughs> so just over a year ago, we um, were approved to adopt a child. Um, so we came to West Point last year um, just with our two birth children. So we were approved in July, and God gave me a dream. I'll try not to cry. <laughs> um, that I would receive a call at West Point last year for a little baby boy called Jack. And of course, last year at West Point, I got a call for a little baby boy called Jack. So God knew the boy that he wanted to adopt, us to adopt, and we got him here with us this year. So our story is that we had two birth children. We felt God call us to push the doors to adopt. We then have a Christian social worker who matches us um, with this gorgeous little boy, and now God has placed him in our lives. Um, so, we, yeah, that's us basically, our story. God told us to do it, and we did it. Come on. <laughs> This is so on God's heart, isn't it? It is so on God's heart. Anybody else want to get something? I have a couple more, and then we'll take a couple of questions, and then we'll pray. I'm one of the ones that Steve was talking about earlier, so Ken, but I just wanted to share a little bit of where we're at right now. Um, we were approved back in 2016 to adopt. Like My husband and I believe that's what God called us to do. And when we were approved, we were approved for one child. We have a two-bedroom house. And we were like, I think that God says there's two here. I think that that's what God's saying. And our son came home in the January, and his sister was born in the April and came home then. And we were like, okay, God, you've, you've done it. You've completed our family. Um, but God has other plans. Um, and so, yeah, we got a phone call April this year, baby brother. Um, it's every single time it's a different story it's a different way that the system works the system is very frustrating so he's not home yet but you know he's with some amazing foster carers and we're hoping that he'll be coming home next month to our two-bedroom house that we're still in but we were only approved for one child so god has a plan and he is not going to let bedrooms overcome his plan so i just wanted to say that <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much We've got time for one more. If there's anybody else that really desperately wanted to share that hasn't, yeah. Come on, get up. Go on, let's squeeze you in. 
I'm Lynn. Um, I've got a bit of a backwards story. We're adopted um, 22 years down the road now. God sort of put all the bits of the jigsaw in place. But I sit on the local foster camp for the local authority and being in Coles, there are more and more Christians coming through and there hopefully are more people who will, who will be willing to be in the foster. Every time you get a step forward coming up the side or someone says something, often I'm in a privileged position where I can ask questions that I know other people in the family will be worrying about. When you get a pastor's back and you think, oh, there's all sorts of people going through that household, how are we going to protect them? How are we going to maintain visibility? And often God has put me in places to ask the questions in a loving way so that the Christians who are coming through felt they'd give me uh, given me opportunity to help the non-Christians in the room understand the difference. And time and time again, the most damaged children are the ones who are the Christian parents who will withstand having their hair cut. And they will have social workers going around the clock to help and support them and support their children. And the social worker says, I don't know how they do it. And it's unconditional love time and time again. So all of you who are thinking about it or not sure, pick up Bill and trust God because the difference you're making and the impact that you're making on adults' lives who may never actually have a conversation with someone of faith because don't underestimate it and the difference that you make actually supports and matters. Thank you so much. Maybe you just come up for a moment. Just two really important p- things that I want to just draw out of that. One is it's incredible in the, in the kind of providence of God how often I've found a situation where it feels like it's an us and them. You've got, you've got the Christians and then you've got the social workers. But God has put Christians on both sides of the table. And increasingly we're finding our social workers, our local authorities, the people on the panels uh, are, are, have, have got Christian heritage, have got Christian backgrounds. And even some of the discussions that we're having at quite a high level where we're trying to push through how we work together and how we fund promotion and recruiting and all that kind of thing, we're finding now that all around the table it's Christians, which is fantastic. But equally, what I'm finding is, as well, the social workers, the ones that aren't Christians, have a deep, deep, deep passion for placing children into loving homes. And they spot it when they see it. And so praying for them and continuing to pray for them and that we're a good witness for those who don't yet know Jesus would be an incredible opportunity as well. Come on, last one. Um, So me and my husband are foster carers and we have been for 18 months. Um, Got prophecies over us a while ago, but basically um, about two years ago, my heart was not for fostering at all. Um, In fact, my husband and I, his heart was for fostering within the UK I had done many missions trips abroad um, and worked in orphanages in Albania and Portugal and Bali and left a little bit of my heart in each of those with fairly special children. And now I can look back and see that God was really using those places to grow my heart for children in general that were disadvantaged. Um, but it was on a, a missions trip to Albania a few years ago that I was on the plane home and I'd met this girl. That I really felt God was sending me to Sister Dawn to adopt. And it didn't work out. But on the plane home, he totally transformed my heart for children within the UK. And I went home, I got home about one o'clock in the morning and laid in bed and I just couldn't sleep. And my husband was sleeping, but I woke him up and my heart was just crying for children within the UK. 
I mean, he was obviously totally ecstatic because it's what he wanted to do for years. <laughs> um, yeah, he was right. <laughs> I still don't admit that. <laughs> um, but within that, the next day I went to a toddler group and we thought, God, how do we do this? Um, we lived in a three-bedroom house that had a child, two birth children, one of each sex, so it wasn't we weren't able to foster within that home. We couldn't afford to move home. We were renting. And um, the next day, someone that didn't have a clue that God had changed my heart came up to me in a toddler group and said, oh, my friend can't move into this house, but there's a five-bedroom house around the corner, and it's coming up for rent, and it's not on the market yet. So we thought, okay, let's go and ask. Um, and that house became ours. We didn't have the funds. Seven days before, we still didn't have the funds to move into this house, and we were praying in bed, holding hands, just like, God, what have we done? Um, and the money came from non-Christians, from our church. It was thousands of pounds, and it came into our account. And since then, God gave us a heart years ago for children with Down syndrome. Our experience is for children with Down syndrome, and our heart just bursts for with like love to encourage them and nurture them and we were told by social workers it's going to be impossible they're all adopted at birth it's a visible disability and they're just not in the system and my heart was obviously for the nations um children within the nations and god we prayed um together when we had been approved for fostering that god would bring us a child that had down syndrome because that was what was on our heart and my heart was for the nations and god loved us so much <laughs> that we've now not only fostered three children on a respite care, but we've actually now adopted a little boy. Um, it was approved in July. It took us 21 months from hearing about this little boy. It was the most painful journey. Our church were amazing in supporting us through. But we've now adopted um, a boy who has a mixed heritage from Jamaica and India, and he has Down syndrome. And God was just so good in that. But it's just for those that are sitting there that do have partners or that maybe feel that their heart is actually for children further afield. He just totally transformed my heart to and opened my eyes to the need that's right on our doorstep. And he just totally loved our hearts and blessed us so much that we actually got our heart's desire and what he put on our heart. And God doesn't tease you, does he? He doesn't tease with that desire that he's put on your heart. Wow, wow. Thank you. Wow, you guys have just about blown me away today. <laughs> wow. Okay, before we pray, I just, I'm, I'm sure there must be one or two of you here that uh, uh, have come with maybe a question or a thought or something that you just need to find out a little bit more. Uh, so I just, before we pray, I just wanted to give an opportunity if there's anybody that came and thought, I really wanted to hear this, or I really wanted to address that if you've got a particular question, why don't you just ask away and myself or you know even some of the professionals here might be able to help out if you've got if you're thinking about fostering or adoption, you've got a question. Is there anyone that wants that? Yeah? Hi, my husband sorry I'm Abby. My husband and I have been praying about this for a few years. Um, and we're kind of told when we were chatting to some people that you had to wait until your children were older or you couldn't adopt someone who was older than your oldest child. And I'm just wondering, is, is that true? Is there anyone who has experience trying to do that? Our oldest is two and a half. And so we're kind of like 
my youngest is three months. <laughs> so we're excited. We want to do something. We're wondering about timing. That's great. Thank you so much, Abe. Um, well, in, in terms of the age of children, what, what social workers try to achieve is a natural sibling order. Um, you can imagine if you've got birth children and you inject into that family an older child, the, the status and the order within the family can be upset. And so it can have a greater effect and more risk of breaking down ultimately. Um, that can be different with international adoption sometimes, and it can, can sometimes be different with private adoption agencies as well. Um, but usually with kind of government, so government social worker situations, they will try and keep the sibling order. And I'm a different, you will find that different authorities will have also a different minimum age at which your children need to be before you bring another child into the home. I'm not sure what it is for Hampshire. Two years for Hampshire. Yeah, and, and that's, that's true for now the whole of the, the kind of southwest. It's now regionalized, so that would be true for the whole of the southwest. No, not necessarily. No, that's uh, that's not an issue. They probably they wouldn't probably wouldn't be helpful for you to be pregnant at the same time you're going through the adoption process, because that can throw up all sorts of challenges, obviously. Um, but but no, certainly I know I know of people that have gone through ha have had uh, adopted children and then have had other birth children afterwards and and continued the process. In fact, I was speaking with some friends of mine yesterday who have uh, birth children adopted, uh, internationally adopted, fostered, and then adopted again. <laughs> Any other any other questions before we just finish both just praying together? Okay. Well, can I just say thank you so much for coming this afternoon? It's honestly been the highlight of my weekend, and it's been a privilege to hear all of your stories and hear how God has been working. And I think the future is bright, uh, and I think we've got with God's help, I think we can start to change the culture and see more children finding families. So why don't we just pray for commission? and for our influence on the nation. And let's pray for our wider New Frontiers family, that we might be trailblazers for the most vulnerable in our culture. And, and let's pray that God would be glorified as we seek to outwork his heart by putting the lonely into families. Let's just pray together. Father, when we hear these stories of your sovereign hand at work, taking hearts that were cold and making them open to what you have planned, giving people dreams, changing people's situations, allowing the break and the gas to pull together <laughs> and the grace upon people in the room today to be able to outwork your heart for children. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude at what you've done in us just over the last few years even and stemming back to we've heard today 20 years of adoption and fostering Lord, we're, we're thankful and yet we dream of so much more we dream of a day when children won't need to go into the care system because there's a there is a loving family waiting from the moment that they're needed we pray, Father, that you'd give us great grace and influence in our towns and our cities. Help us to build great relationships with our, our, our social services and the professionals involved in that so that we can be singing with one tune, 
so that we can be working together for the good of the children. Lord, help us to see thousands of lives transformed. Now, I know that's part of our vision, and we often think of it as the gospel, and we often think about it as salvation. But what greater salvation, what greater redemption can there be than a child who was lost being found? Lord, we thank you even for Connor's story and for how he's given his life to you and is now growing up as a young man who wants to pursue you, all made possible because of what you did in one family. Jesus, we're overwhelmed. We thank you for Alice being added to the Claytons. And we pray, Jesus, that the church that they lead will catch their heart. Thank you for these stories of churches that have got (laughs) tens of adopted children turning up at the school gate in the morning. Jesus, we, we are so thankful, yet we dare to ask for more. We pray, Father, as we go from this place and as we gather again next year, that there will be story after story after story of lives transformed by your goodness. Lord, I pray as we close, finally, for any people who are here, young, old, single, married, who feel that they're here because they are considering, they are praying, they are wondering, they are dreaming. Lord, the need is huge. There are children right now waiting. And so we pray, Father, that you would soften hearts even today and that you would give guidance and wisdom and grace to be able to take the next step as we leave this place. Make that phone call. Send that email. Go onto that website. Pray that prayer. Talk to that trusted friend. Have a conversation with a spouse. Lord, we pray that we would not shy away from taking that next step. And I pray, Father, as we gather again at the Connect Festival next year, there'll be stories of people who came this year and are now on the journey. Because, Lord, we want lives to be built into homes so that they can bring glory and honor to you. And we ask that all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Um, Please do, if you're thinking about that Home for Good champion thing, if you think you could go and get under the noses of your leaders and say, come on, we need to stir this up a little bit, go and grab one of those Home for Good champion things. And also, if you want to know more about being a Home for Good church, get one of those. And again, give it to your leaders and say, can we do this, please? Okay? God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.